0: Welcome to the Daily Bite. I'm your host, Pastor Steve Andrews. Today we read Mark Chapter Eleven. And some of those standing there said to them, What are you doing untying the colt? And they told them what Jesus had said, and they let them go. And they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks on it, and he sat on it. And many spread their cloaks on the road, and others spread leafy branches that they had cut from the fields. And those who went before and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord! Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David! Hosanna in the highest. And he entered Jerusalem and went into the temple. And when he had looked around at everything, as it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. On the following day, when they came from Bethany, he was hungry. And seeing in the distance a fig tree in leaf, he went to see if he could find anything on it. When he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for it was not the season for figs. And he said to it, and may no one ever eat fruit from you again. And his disciples heard it. And they came to Jerusalem, and he entered the temple and began to drive out those who sold and those who bought in the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. And he would not allow anyone to carry anything through the temple. And he was teaching them, and saying to them, Is it not written, My house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations? But you have made it a den of robbers. And the chief priests and scribes heard it, and were seeking a way to destroy him, for they feared him, because all the city was astonished at his teaching. And when evening came, they went out of the city. As they passed by in the morning, they saw the fig tree withered away to its roots. And Peter remembered and said to him, Rabbi, look. so that your Father also who is in heaven may forgive you your trespasses. And They came again to Jerusalem, and as he was walking in the temple, the chief priests and the scribes and the elders came to him, and they said to him, By what authority are you doing these things? Or who gave you this authority to do them? And Jesus said to them, I will ask you one question. Answer me, and I will tell you by what authority I do these things. Was the baptism of John from heaven? Or from man? Answer me." And they discussed it with one another, saying, if we say from heaven, he will say, why then did you not believe him? But shall we say from man? They were ter- they were afraid of the people, for they all held that John really was a prophet. So they answered Jesus, we do not know. And Jesus said to them, neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. This is the word of the Lord. Bethphage and Bethany are a couple of villages just to the eastern side of the city of Jerusalem, so within an easy walk, and the Mount of Olives is right there with them, appropriately named because it's where olive trees grow. Um, So familiar territory here for us as we're used to talking about the city of Jerusalem in the New Testament with with Jesus going there during Holy Week, which is what this is uh, Going there to die and That time has come for for the Christ for the Messiah We see the triumphal entry account from Mark in this chapter so we get the the prophecy of Zechariah 9 9 that their king would come to them on a donkey on a colt the foal of a donkey So Jesus fulfills that prophecy here. He sends the disciples into the city Uh, to find the donkey to bring to him. And (laughs) the interesting thing here is when they ask, why are you doing this? The disciples are told to respond. The Lord has need of it and we'll send it back here immediately. The the people that, that see the disciples taking the donkey, they have to believe it, right? They have to take the disciples at their word. They have to take Jesus at his word that he is indeed the Lord. Which, you know, that's a, it's a thing of faith. For them to have this faith, to trust that Jesus is their savior, he is their king that has come for them, the people would have to believe he's the Messiah. Now, the, the actual entry itself, as Jesus gets on the donkey and rides into Jerusalem, is a military parade. The cultural custom which is true throughout a good chunk of, of world history, is that when a king conquered a new area for himself, he would ride a horse, typically a nice large white horse, into that city in order to have this parade celebrating his victory and his conquest. Uh, the ruthless kings would make the the people lay down on the street for the horse to walk over them as a symbol. Um, quite literal as well, of his rule and authority over them in that place. Um, This is a mockery of that, in a sense. Jesus is doing it. It is the military parade, but at the same time, as we talked about yesterday, his kingdom is not of this world. It's not the same thing. Jesus hasn't come to conquer people. Uh, It's a bit of a stretch, but I like the image Uh, When they throw their cloaks on the road, those are empty. Um, The emptiness is, uh, you know, it represents death when we no longer fill our clothes anymore because we are gone from this world. And so Jesus rides that donkey in over death because he has authority over death. He has come to conquer death. I think that's a neat picture. I don't know that the gospel authors actually had that one in particular in mind, but it is something that we can still at least see, and and it's good to think through. Now, in verse 9, the crowds believe he is the Messiah, and they're shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. This is a a shout of triumph, but in a sense also... um, A prayer or a command, however you might want to take it in that way. Uh, Hosanna is the Hebrew word for save us now. The people are crying out that God would save them, that he would rescue them, he would redeem them. And again, their, their mindset is wrong. They think he's going to redeem them from Rome. He's come to redeem them from sin, but they're still, they still believe in him. They're still looking to him on Sunday at the time of the triumphal entry. Verse 11 says that he went to the temple. This could be a good time to ask your children what what they know about the temple. What is the temple? What was its purpose? could be a good conversation. The temple is the house of God. It is the place of his throne, which is the Ark of the Covenant. Uh, This is the, at this point, this is the third temple. This is Herod's temple, because you had the temple Solomon built which itself was a replacement of the tabernacle that they used all those years that they wandered in the wilderness before they made it to the promised land. And then they kept using it until the the era of kings. So then they get the temple and then that's destroyed. And they get, uh, when they finally get to rebuild their community, they rebuild the temple. That one's called Zerubbabel's temple. And then that one goes into disrepair the way I understand it. So Herod, Herod either refurbishes that one, Uh, a vastly needed overhaul, or he builds them a new one. Um, I don't know the answer to that, off really, uh, as I've heard both ways. But regardless, that's the temple in terms of its physicality. It's a building, uh, a massive building, a very decorative building, because it is God's holy house, a place where he has promised he will speak to his people. It's where you take your offerings for your family to receive forgiveness. It is... It's the center of of the faith of the people of Israel. Because it's the place God has promised them he will be. There's a parallel for you and for your family today. The place where God has promised to be, the place where he has promised to give you forgiveness, where you can hear his word, where you have no, no doubts that he will be there for you. That place is your church, your local congregation, where your pastor delivers to you God's word and his sacraments faithfully. If you have one of those, it is a wonderful place. Go there as often as you can. Uh, It is good for you. It's good for your family to be with the Lord in his house. Now, he's, he's with you all the time. He's with you always, and he cares for you in every moment of every day, and we're thankful for that as well. So rejoice in both of those wonderful gifts that we have from God. Verse 12 brings us to Monday. So the following day, they come back. They had stayed the night in Bethany. And Jesus curses a fig tree. <laughs> it, it seems odd. It seems out of place. And really, Mark doesn't give a whole lot behind it. It's not the season for figs. But Jesus is mad that this tree doesn't have any figs on it. Now, does he curse it because of that? Does he curse it uh, because he, he's going to show his disciples? He's going to teach his disciples? Is it both? Um, Mark again, it's just a little vague on this one. It, 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 it's there and It happened. Jesus cursed it and it died. I mean, that's verse 20 as they see it It has withered away to its roots. It is a complete death of this tree. It's never growing back um, And that's going to spark the disciples curiosity We'll come back to that in a moment first Jesus cleanses the temple in verses 15 through 19 and um, he quotes a couple of Old Testament verses, Isaiah 56, 7, and Jeremiah 7, 11, to talk about the idea of, of really how they've twisted the purpose of the temple. They've turned it into a marketplace where they're selling the animals required for the sacrifices and, and, and such things. And there's a, there's a literal purpose of what Jesus does here, but there's also a beautiful image for us of what Jesus is doing here. As Jesus is upset, rightly so, uh, that the temple is being used for something for which it was not created, that God did not purpose it for, uh, and he's overturning that. He's getting rid of that. But also, think of it, think of the picture. He is overthrowing the temples, uh, the tables of those who are selling the sacrificial animals. So you've traveled, you know, 100 miles to get to Jerusalem. You couldn't bring your your ram with you or whatever it was that you needed to offer for your particular family's offering. And so you came and you brought your money and you bought it when you got there. That seems sensible enough. Now they probably just should have been doing that, not in the temple. They should have set up another area where you could have done something like that and they should have done so fairly. Um, Maybe that would have been okay. I don't know, but the picture, to consider here is this. Jesus overthrows even the temple sacrifices. No longer do you and your family have to bring your your fatted calf and your oxen and your your sheep uh, before the Lord and place them upon the altar for the priest to slay them that you may have a limited amount of forgiveness of sins. Jesus overthrows that system and he is the sacrifice for all sin. And so it's really, that's a neat picture that can come across in this conversation with our families as well, as Jesus overturns the tables of those who are selling in the in the temple. Now, the chief priests and the scribes, they hear and they see the these events and they are, well, they're infuriated. Jesus is a threat. He's a threat to them. He's a threat to their, their faith um, as, as Jews, and they don't like it. And so they are going to seek to kill him and we know how that will turn out but that's in the next couple of days so we won't jump ahead as jesus unpacks this fig tree illustration and and the event with his disciples because peter asks about it he tells them to have faith to not doubt to ask god for whatever they need and trust that god will provide it for them that's important and and it's good Uh, This verse gets abused and and when it does it hurts faith Christians will will say but I asked the Lord for what I needed and the Lord didn't provide does that mean I don't have faith? Does it mean I was doubting? One of the things I point to here is this is something where you you want to consider the will of God as well Um, Whoever says to this mountain be taken up and thrown into the sea it'll come to pass if we took every Christian in the world and stood them at the foot of the Rocky Mountains and had one by one everybody try and throw the Rocky Mountains into the sea it it probably wouldn't happen our prayers are to follow the will of God not our own wills Jesus prays this way in the garden not my will but your will be done we're taught in the Lord's Prayer to pray this way in in Matthew chapter 6 Uh, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. I pray this of God before I preach before the people of God, that they may hear his will and not mine. And This is our prayer as well. We are to pray not for whatever we desire, but we are to pray that the Lord's will would be done. And if we're doing that, yeah, he'll, he'll fulfill it, he'll do it. If the Lord needed that mountain, the Rocky Mountains, to be moved so that the gospel could be shared to people on the other side, yeah, in an instance like that, I could picture a Christian standing before the mountain and, and having this prayer and it actually happening. But God has given us other ways to share the gospel on both sides of that mountain. And so there's not really a need for moving of the mountain. It would just be a, a trying to show off our faith, and that's not faith at all. So it's a challenging little section, and it gets an even challenge, a more challenging ending with verse 25. Um, forgive if you have anything against anyone, so that your Father also who is in heaven may forgive you your trespasses. Matthew does this as well as Mark. They, they tie God's forgiveness to our forgiveness. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. If we don't forgive others... We're rejecting the Lord's forgiveness. You can think of the parable of the, what's that one called? And it's the the unmerciful servant, I think, where he owes 10,000 talents and the king forgives him his debt, but he leaves and he he finds a a man who owes him 100 denarii and he throws him in prison because he can't pay off the debt. And so the king actually takes this this wicked servant and he throws him into prison instead. And that parable speaks to this very same idea. One of the questions we can ask to our children here, is there anyone you need to forgive? We can ask it of ourselves. And if those names come up, follow through, make a phone call. Uh, Get in your car, drive over to their home. Um, Talk to them. If you've sinned against them, ask that they would forgive you. If they've sinned against you, forgive them. Yes, you can forgive them simply in your heart. Rather than telling them, you know, if they don't want your forgiveness, for example. But it's good to still say it even in those instances, you know, if somebody's wronged you and they don't care, it can be good to speak forgiveness because that, that word may plant a seed and the Lord may work through that word in their heart to soften their heart. You never know. All right, we get the challenge of Jesus' authority as the end of the text today. Uh, this is the chief priest temple, right? That they believe they're the ones who have the authority to do everything in the temple. And they have not given any authority to Jesus to do what he's doing. So, Jesus, why are you doing this? By whose authority? It's not ours. And we know the answer. It's God. And that's the question Jesus asked to them to get them to answer as well. And he asks about John. Was John's authority from heaven or from men? And if it, if they answer it rightly, they're going to answer that the authority came from the Lord. And Jesus could have said, that's the same here. That his authority came from the Lord. But they refuse to answer because they reason it through and their reason is correct their reasoning their logic they're right if if they were to say that John's authority was from God then Jesus is going to challenge them on why they didn't believe him but if they say it's from man they're afraid of the crowds crowds held that John was a prophet and so they're not going to they're not going to touch that and so they respond to Jesus we do not know and Jesus answer is Jesus response to them is clever neither will I tell you so it's not that he knows. He knows they don't know. He knows that they do know. They have an answer that they want to give him, but they refuse to give it to him because of their fear. And so he says, Neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. That's our text. We continue Holy Week tomorrow.